Former NBA superstar Allen Iverson had a very close friend who was murdered. And as you can imagine, that devastated Mr. Iverson and it caused him to think very deeply about his own eternity and what would come in the afterlife for him. And here's what Allen Iverson said. He said, I want to go to heaven. Before I die, I want to know that's where I'm going. I don't want to have to guess. I want to know that's where I'm going. Now, did you know that Mr. Iverson has something in common with the father of our faith, Abraham? Abraham asked a similar question. That is exactly right. I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. And I want you to notice this conversation in verses 7 and 8 between God and Abraham, where Abraham asks this very same question. Listen to what the Bible says to us. And the Lord said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Now there it is. He is saying, how can I be sure of my future? How can I know that I will possess God's promised home, Canaan? As I read these words, it sounds very much like Alan Iverson's question and concern about his own eternal destiny. Now this morning, how do we make this connection? What spans the centuries between these two men? Well, the key this morning that we need to see from the scriptures is that in the Old Testament, inheriting the land of Canaan is symbolic in the New Testament of inheriting heaven. Abraham here is essentially asking the question that all of us at one point in our life have asked, how can I be sure? Now here's what the New Testament tells us. The answer for those of us who are Christians is if we have genuinely repented, put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and been born again, we have entered a covenant forever. That's the answer that the New Testament gives to us. The Old Testament as well. Now in Genesis 15, God entered into a blood covenant with Abraham. And the New Testament says that when we become believers, we enter into a blood covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this statement that I want to put up before you this morning. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a blood covenant with God. I love that. Now that's a bit overstated because there are elements of religion that we have, but the basis for our faith is we have entered into a blood covenant with God. And that means our salvation is sure, secure, and forever. Now why is that true? Well, that's the basis of our message this morning. We want to answer the question from Genesis 15, why 
is a blood covenant with the Lord, something that is sure and certain and forever. Let's keep reading this morning in verses 9 and 10 here of Genesis 15. Follow along as I read what happens next. God said to him, bring me a heifer three years old. A female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. Here's the first answer to our question. Why is a blood covenant, a covenant that is eternal and can never, ever fail, and it's because it is based on God's promises to us, not ours to him. It is based upon God's promises to us, not ours to him. Now what we've read here in Genesis 15 is a covenant scene. When ancient kings wanted to make agreements, they entered a covenant or a treaty, and the blood covenant was the strongest one you could enter into. If you really wanted to convince someone that your promises were good, you made a blood covenant. Listen to what God is saying. All right, Abraham, you want to be sure? I will make my promises with you in the strongest way possible. I will enter a blood covenant. Now, in the ancient world, blood covenants all had three elements, and all three of them are right here. First of all, the king identified himself putting his name to the covenant, and God does that. In verse 7, he says, I am the Lord. This was the strongest way to authenticate or guarantee a promise. Here's what God was saying to Abram. This promise is as good as my name. Only if God and his name go down will the promise go down. And then the second element of a blood covenant, the promises were made. And I want you to notice how the promise that God gives was tied to what God had already done for Abram. When he says to him, Abram, I'm the one who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, that's a reference back to Abram's salvation in chapter 12. When the Lord revealed himself to Abram, Abram believed in the Lord. The Bible says it was counted unto him for righteousness, so God had saved him. Now he's reminding Abram, I saved you for a purpose. I have a goal for your future. And then the third element of a blood covenant. A sign was given to ensure that the promises were good. Now in a blood covenant, the sign was sacrificial animals that were cut in half. In fact, the word that is used here for cutting these animals is to cut a covenant. So when Abraham took them, cut them in half, he didn't cut the birds because they were too small, he was preparing for a blood covenant. All three elements are here between God and Abraham. Now, here's the question I have for us. Who's the only one making a promise here? 
God is, right? Right? God is the only one who makes a promise. In fact, in this chapter, there are two. Earlier in verses 1 to 6, I will give you descendants even though you are infertile and can't have children. And now, I promise the land is yours and your descendants will inherit it. Brothers and sisters, the only one making a promise here is God. Now, do we have anything similar to this in the New Testament? How long do you have this morning? Let's look at one place together. Philippians 1 and verse 6. Would you read this verse together with me? Let's share it together, all right? And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He says, I am sure of this. By the way, this is not the only verse we're going to read together where Paul says, I am sure. But let me ask some questions this morning. According to this verse, who began our salvation? Yeah, God did through Christ, didn't he? According to this verse, who is working to complete our salvation? God is. According to this verse, who will complete our salvation on the last day when Jesus comes? God. Past, present, and future. Whose promises are our salvation based on? God's. Why? It's because every Christian has entered into a new covenant through Jesus' blood. Pastor Warren Wearsby had this to say, God made promises to Abraham it was not Abraham who made promises to God. And the same is true in our salvation. We are not secure in Christ because of our promises to God. We are secure in Christ because of his promises to us. A blood covenant is based upon God's promises, not ours. Now let's notice here that we see another answer as to why our blood covenant with God is an eternal covenant. It's because it's based upon God's protection of us, not us protecting ourselves. Oh, how encouraging this is. It is not us protecting ourselves. It is God who is protecting us. Now look at verse 11 and notice what the Bible says as we read down to verse 16. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. 
Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring the judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now it's very obvious here that the scene now changes. The birds that we read about in verse 11 were unclean vultures, And as they descended now upon the sacrificial animals that had been cut in two, they were threatening the covenant promises. In verse 12, the Bible says the Lord puts Abram into a deep sleep and a dreadful darkness falls upon him. So notice what is happening here. We go from light to darkness. We go from faith to fear. We go from clean birds to unclean birds. Are you saying in your mind this morning, what in the world is going on? What is happening here? God is showing Abraham the future. What Israel would face before the promises were realized We all know what the rest of Genesis and Exodus teaches us, that they would be enslaved in Egypt 400 years before God would bring them out. So trials were coming. These trials would cause Abram's descendants to doubt the promises of the Lord. But God would not leave them He would protect them through every hardship. Here's what God is doing. He is showing Abraham all the things that cause believers like you and me to doubt the security of our future. Now here is what is fascinating. Here's what's so astounding from this text. What God says to Abraham in Genesis 15 is identical to what he says to us in Romans 8. And you know that Romans 8 is that chapter in the New Testament that is one of the strongest chapters on the permanence of our salvation. Look at this amazing comparison. In Genesis 15, God says, Abraham, your descendants are going to be enslaved and afflicted. And Romans 8 says we're going to experience tribulation, peril, distress. In Genesis 15, God says, Abram, it's going to last 400 years. And Romans 8 says about us, we groan, waiting, But in Genesis 15, God says to Abram, you will be buried. Romans 8 says, we might be killed. Martin Luther, who we heard about earlier in the service, felt he could be martyred at any time. It's why he waited to get married so long. He didn't want to leave uh, 
a young widow. And Genesis 8, Romans 8 says, we will certainly experience death. <clears throat> but then notice this. God says to Abram, your descendants will come out, did they? Yes, they did. And in Romans 8, he says to us, we are more than conquerors. Now watch, watch. Every experience we have, distress, delay, death, we are, what's the last word? Protected. The same hardships in Genesis 15 are the same ones that God protects us from in Romans 8. Brothers and sisters, this is Romans 8, 28 and 29. Let's, let's read this glad assurance together. Join me, please. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What is the good that God says all things are contributing for. It is his purpose. And that purpose is that every child of God will be ultimately conformed to the image of God's son. And it is this that God is protecting us for so that we can read the final words of Romans 8, verses 38 and 39, and here we have another, I am sure. Let's read it together. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know here in Genesis 15 is the first time the word shalom appears in the Bible? When God says to Abram in verse 15, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in shalom. It means peace, welfare, well-being, security. When God protects you in a blood covenant, no matter what threatens you, you have shalom. You see, God is protecting us. We are not protecting ourselves. Now, there's a final answer in this chapter. 
as to why a blood covenant is an eternal covenant that can never, ever fail. And here's the final, the third answer. A blood covenant is based on God's unconditional, not conditional provision for us. A blood covenant is based on God's unconditional, not conditional provision for us. Look now at verse 17 and notice what occurs. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Now here's what we need to see here. There were two types of blood covenants. A conditional covenant meant that both people passed through the separated animals. And when they passed through, what they were saying is this, if you fulfill your part of the agreement, I will fulfill mine. If you don't or I don't, may what happen to these animals in the shedding of their blood and their death happen to us. But there was an unconditional blood covenant. And in that covenant, only one party passed through the separated animals. What that party then was saying was this, I will take full responsibility for all of the promises you receive them. And if I fail to keep the promises, what happened to these animals in the shedding of their blood and their death, may it happen to me. Now here's the question. What kind of covenant is this with God and Abram? Is it conditional or unconditional? What's the answer, saints, this morning? It is unconditional. God put Abram to sleep, and in his well-known symbol of a fire, our God is a consuming fire. He passed through the separated animals alone. And I want you to notice that there are three actions that God performed by himself alone that secured the covenant with Abram. Verse 17, he passed alone through the sacrificial animals. In doing so, he accepted alone the curse of death if he failed to deliver on the promises and in verses 18 to 21, he promised alone the promised land. The text is very clear. The Lord made the covenant with Abraham. They did not make it together. Abraham was asleep. 
God made this covenant unconditionally. Now it just jumps off of the pages of the New Testament that Christ, who is the mediator of the new covenant, has done the very same. He alone was our sacrifice. He alone was cursed with death for us. He alone promised, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. This morning, as we think about all of this, I want to close with a personal word. I've been a pastor now going on 38 years. And I have no confidence in our ability to keep ourselves saved. None at all. I wouldn't give you 10 cents for my ability to keep myself saved. I have never met anyone I would give you 10 cents for their ability to keep themselves saved. What I've discovered in nearly 38 years of ministry is this, even the best of us are too weak, too frail, too faltering, too fragile, too sinful. And if we have to keep ourselves saved, we will surely perish. I have no question or doubt about that. If we will be finally saved, God must do it, and God alone. And that's what the blood covenant is all about. It is all about a salvation that God has promised, God protects us for, and is his unconditional promises that will never fail. That's why we are secure. Let's read them again together as we rejoice in what God has done for us. The blood covenant is based upon these works of God. Let's say them together and rejoice in them as his people. Would you join me? God's promises to us not ours to him. God's protection of us, not us protecting ourselves. God's unconditional, not conditional provision for us. Hallelujah. What a savior. Let's bow together, shall we, and close our eyes this morning.
As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, have you entered into the new covenant in Jesus' blood? Have you repented of your sins, which are so great and so many? Have you cast yourself in faith upon the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus? Have you been born anew? So that you know I'm different, I'm changed. I love God in a way that I never have before. If not, the Lord is inviting you. Come to me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls. And Jesus has said that he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. My sheep hear my voice, I know them. They follow me. I give to them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Come to Jesus Christ. Enter into the joy of the blood covenant. For those of us that know the Lord today, offer up a prayer to him for the wonder of what you have. Thank him for his grace and mercy. Say with Jonah, in the belly of the fish, perishing. Salvation is of the Lord. Oh, thank you, God, that you are my guarantee. You are my surety. You are my anchor. I am more than a conqueror through him who loved us. How we praise you, O oh God, today. For Jesus' sake, amen.